Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I am your host for right now, DM Neil, aka Jote Moniac. And today we have DM Mitch, as well as Paul and Charlie from Beetle and Grimm. And today we're going to be talking about taking one of the three pillars of role-playing games and throwing it away potentially because we are going to talk about low to no combat. Also, we get a little bit of insight into Wild Beyond the Witch Light uh, because Beetle and Grimm is going to make a platinum box for this one like they did with Descent into Avernus. But enough of that. For now, we will head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have Paul Shapiro and Charlie Rayor, two of the chief goblins behind Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse. Thank you both so much for coming on, spending some time with us. Hey, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Paul and Charlie, uh, for our listeners, um, can you just start out by just telling us a little bit about yourselves, whatever you would like to divulge to the listeners, your social security numbers, uh, your passions, whatever it is, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, sure, I'll start. Uh, so uh, so Charlie and I are, are a group of, you know, two of the five founders of Beetle and Grimm's. We actually met years ago in acting school. Actually, Charlie wasn't in acting school, but the other four of us were. Charlie's just related. Um, but we started in acting school. We were playing D&D. We've been playing D&D ever since. And uh, Except now that we have a company. And now that we have a company. So <laughs> you know, years, years later, we came back together and we decided, to, we decided to start this company just mainly because we had so much fun playing and we had so many ideas for things that we wish were out there, things that we wanted to have at our table. And so we've been doing it for about four years. Uh, of the four of us, I'm the only, five of us, I'm the only one uh, who lives in New York. So I'm uh, on the East Coast. And uh, yeah, what else about me? I was the, the box lead on Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So we're really excited about that box, being able to say more about it and having that uh, get released and uh, go out into the wild itself. All right, my turn. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I am related to this this group. Uh, my brother went to acting school at these Yahoos, and then yeah, you know, I was, I was playing D and D long before that. When I when I was a kid, we went into one of the places we played was a uh, bookstore called Future Fantasy, which made it, honestly a terrible decision to let a game host there every Friday night because they thought it would bring in business. But it was a small store and there was 10 people yelling at each other in the middle of the store. And it just drove <laughs> everybody to the to the exit. But it was great. It and and really that was sort of the genesis for me wanting to be part of this company because I saw future fantasy, like that's what I want. I want to, and that's actually one of the first things that we looked at as doing as a company was or you know, opening a game store or or a game-themed bar or something like that. But then we kind of we settled on this, but eventually, eventually we will have future fantasy, and I will be able to drive drive patrons out by screaming at them. Yeah, that's my <laughs> probably more than you wanted. That's your dream. That's your dream. <laughs> so that leaves it up to me and Paul. You kind of hinted at it a little bit, but is there anything that you're currently working on? And of course, that you can tell us about. I'm sure there's a, a, a few things that we can't talk about, but you've hinted at some that we can. Yeah, absolutely. So there are all kinds of things. That we, I'll talk about all the things we can't talk about later, but I'll start with the things that we can talk about. Wild Beyond the Witchlight is D&D's uh, newest adventure that uh, they announced last month. Uh, they're doing a big reveal of it this weekend, and then it's going to actually hit bookstores in September. Uh, and so we're really excited about this because the thing we love about these big once a year adventures that D&D puts out is that we create these platinum edition boxes that go with them. Uh, which is really some of the most fun that we get to have because it's this huge box and we get to just fill it up with whatever crazy things we think are going to make the game more exciting. And this one in particular is really going to be interesting. There's a lot of really fun things. The the, the art and the maps are just amazing. Uh, so there's it's sort of chock full of this beautiful Feywild art that really looks different than anything they've done in the last several years. 
Uh, and there's some really fun things. Uh, we did a plushie a couple of years ago for our descent into Avernus, the Lulu, the Hollyphant. Yes. Which we loved. And it, it, it went over well in part because it was actually the life-size, sort of the, the life-size representation of the Hollyphant. That's actually how big the Hollyphant was. Uh, and so in Wild Beyond the Witchlight, we actually have a similar opportunity. There's a character uh, that you meet and we can actually talk about it. It's actually Sir Talavar, the fairy knight, uh, the fairy dragon knight. Um, and so we have a plushie of him in the box that's life-size. So it's actually nice. the life-size, you know, he's a fairy dragon. So it's actually only this big. So it works out for us. But, uh, but it's a lot of fun and it can actually be used. The thing we love about it is it can actually be used in a lot of different ways. Not only can it be representative of, you know, of Sir Talavar, but there are other things that happen in the adventure. There's a carnival portion where there are things that you can win, plushies like Sir Talavar. Um, and then there are even some other places. So you can actually, depending on what the DM wants to do, the DM can actually use this plushie in two or three or four different ways, depending on how the story goes and, and, and what, what he or she wants to, to use it for. So uh, that's just one of the things uh, that we had a lot of fun coming up with and putting together. That's fantastic. So like in, <laughs> I mean, all I can think of is that what you've created is a scenario where there are so many dungeon masters around the world that are ducking now behind their screen and holding up these plushies <laughs> and talking in talking in a high pitched voice uh, as they role play through their adventures. And I think that's and secondarily, fantastic. obviously, the puppets as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. So in, in the in our in our Cursed Strahd uh, legendary box, we had a set of finger puppets, uh, yes. which, again, a similar thing, just something that we thought, you know, added to the mood and the genre, but it could also be really things that you actually find and use in the game. Um, and we always have fun coming up with stuff like that. All our all our best arguments are about stuff that gets in the plot in the platinum box. It doesn't make it into the platinum box. Yeah. Do you do you argue using the plushies? <laughs> Unfortunately, somebody who will not be named uh, made a strong push for that, and everybody fought him. And then it turned out he was right. So now he brings mm. that up a lot. But you know, you think Can't I'm wrong no about this, anymore. but remember the plushies. Nah. <laughs> right. The problem is he's usually wrong about most things. So the fact that the plushie was a win doesn't really help us. We still have to shoot him down constantly. But now it's gone to his head. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, it always it always <laughs> Awesome. So what we do is we often have a surprise question. And so I have dreamt this one up for you. Um, given who you both are and what you both do for Beetle and Grimm, what movie would you love to make a platinum box for? Like, so go totally. <laughs> yeah. So you think about the D&D book. Yeah, yeah. What is a movie that you would love to make a platinum box for? You mean besides Wing Commander? Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys saw on July on April Fools we did we announced a Wing Commander box, uh, which we spent way too much time. Uh, I building. don't think you spent nearly Just enough the, time, but you can say it however you want. <laughs> uh, but that's a great question. What would be a box? Well, if I could make any movie, what would it be? I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, you know, can you imagine the box for Lord of the Rings? I mean, it would literally be the size of refrigerator charlie's yeah, house a shipping container <laughs> yeah i mean it would but it would, i mean just i mean how much fun would that be to put all that stuff in there but i don't know i'm i i think going outside of the the, the fantasy genre what would be a fun box i, I think alien would be really interesting oh <laughs> well a survival horror box that would be yeah. fun. yeah no i i i have mine box, no, if i was gonna make a box it would it be moulin rouge <laughs> <laughs> it could be it could maybe it will be now no Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah that's the other one that I was would be that would be the box that would be you have a whip in there you have some idols and amulets oh that'd be good stuff I mean I already know what the the puppet is for the aliens one it's one that's <laughs> like attached to a shirt that you put your hand through but what is the puppet for uh, the Raiders box? That's what I. That's all I want to know. Because it's yeah, always yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always <laughs> yes. 
you, you <laughs> have it more of the one where you can hold it up top and have it slither around. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. Or or maybe or you could also you could have you could also have plushies of of all of the Nazis as they're melting. Oh, you know where they're where they've got Nazi plushies. That's <laughs> right. The, the the melting the melting right. Nazi plushies. Now I know what our next meeting's going to be. Yep. There you go. Well, there's no easy segue out of that. So we're, we're going to jump into the topic at hand. And so what was brought up at one point is the idea of a low to no combat campaign, um, which is really interesting because you have the three pillars often are described as exploration, combat, and the third one, which now has completely escaped me. So, um, but often one gets moved aside. And so in this instance, we're going to talk about moving aside maybe completely combat from that equation and figuring things out so i'll throw it back to to both of you uh paul and charlie what do you think it means when we say something like low to no combat so to me i think that you know what are because at the end of the day all of this stuff is all about problem solving so like the whole idea of you have these you have you're playing these characters that are that are on a mission on an adventure trying to solve problems and combat is just one way to solve problems. And I actually love campaigns where there's a mix of different ways to solve them. And I think having an adventure that either sort of implicitly or explicitly is sort of limiting combat just is sort of forcing players or encouraging players to just come up with you know, new ways of solving problems. And I really love that. I mean, I love you know just that the sort of the improvisational nature of, you know, meeting an obstacle and not immediately just, you know, reaching for a sword or figuring, well, let's just blow it up. And instead, you know, you have to ask questions, you have to kind of go with the flow. Um, and those are some of the, the, the most fun times at the table. So for me, I think it's, I think it's all about just coming up with more ways of problem solving naturally. Yeah. I was going to say you're completely wrong. Um, but <laughs> No, I mean, I, I like I, I agree, but I would sort of yes and that. I really think it, that there's problem solving. And there's also stakes, right? I, I think in a lot of ways, combat is just sort of it's a very easy way to set the stakes, right? And you've you've got if you don't succeed at what you're doing, you get eaten, and that that provides conflict, and that's that drives a story, and that's that's fun for players. So I, I do think that the you can still as long as you have stakes. You know, to, to Paul's point, then problem solve, and then it's just problem solving. But I, I do think that state the stake part is important. We've look, we've certainly had nights where I think all we've done is shopped, which is which is super low stakes, <laughs> and and it, but it was fun. But I, I don't know that you could get a whole campaign through like that. You have to have there has to be a yeah. stake to it. Yes, <laughs> shopping nights can be great, but you're not gonna for most <laughs> most players get away with doing, we're just going to shop this whole campaign, but never use right, the right. that shop for. And, and the amount of gold you have is arbitrary. So it really doesn't matter if you buy one thing or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think that, that the, I mean, in a way it's the stakes that, that often make low or no combat campaigns fail because without the combat, if there aren't those emotional stakes, then it, it just doesn't go anywhere. But I think, what it does, the other thing I love about when when there's an, when there are options other than combat is, uh, in a lot of ways, you you become so you you have to become so much more engaged as a player, because I think a lot of times players just you know have an idea in their head of what their character is and what they do and sort of fall back on that, as opposed to having to actually listen to the NPCs and and, and ask questions. And so if the stakes are high and there are alternatives to combat, I think it creates a really immersive and engaging experience uh, that forces you to use a lot of other parts of your brain that you don't often get to when you're when you're just uh, fighting. Not that I don't love, you know, hacking away at stuff. It's it's an area that I mean, it, the, it's the huge advantage a in person or even on Zoom, just but a tabletop game has over something like a video game. I mean, video games really struggle to provide you with alternate ways to solve a problem. And the ones that that are good at that, people really love. But you know, it's just so much easier on a, on a tabletop game to, to provide 
uh, multiple ways to solve a problem. And on the ones that aren't good at it, classically are always going to get criticism for, oh, I, you gave me these options that my character could choose. And guess what? It all ended up in the same place anyway. So <laughs> you weren't really giving me choice. But kind of to like, I want to ask like kind of the obvious question here, um, you know, with with combat, it's pretty easy to say, well, what are the stakes? Well, the stakes are if you lose, <laughs> you could die. Um, but for non-combat, um, what are the stakes? Because that's kind of the harder question to ask and one that like a dungeon master might be having to work through. What are the stakes for non-combat, um, whether it's a low to no combat campaign? Yeah, I mean, what one... <laughs> I don't know if there's an answer or not, but what what are the uh, the the <laughs> tactics I've seen for for DMs doing this is they they change the stakes to from your character getting eaten to you as a player being embarrassed. <laughs> um, I, there's one it was like my buddy was running it, and we 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 my brother and I were like trying to sneak out of somewhere, and then we decided just to brazen it through. Well, say we brazen it through, we sing a song. And he's like, okay, sing the song, and now it's a performance thing. Now we have stakes. Now we don't want to look like idiots. Um, and that's, you, you could definitely provide moments like that where you're actually just shifting the, you know, responsibility to the player. But yeah, long haul stuff is harder, I think. You know, one of the ways to, to do that that I've done in some of the campaigns I've run is that the non-combat stuff will really change what you're able to do. Or there's a ticking clock that says you have to get all this non-combat stuff done before the ship leaves or something like that. So you, you provide a, a conflict through clock, really. If you, in order to get to the next part of the story, you have to get through these things. I also, yeah, I also think, you know, another thing that, that you know, for example, John, who, who's the, the, the DM in our group, who, who DMs most of our games, you know, the thing that he does really well in terms of raising those stakes is he starts really early, like really, really early from the very beginning, when we're starting, just planting those seeds of this is really important to you, right? These are the things that are really important sort of from the from whatever backstory you come up with. So whether it's family relations or, you know, loyalty or, you know, a, you know, a, a desire for something and you know, over time, just continually sort of coming back and, you know, reinforcing those elements in your in that character's backstory and just reinforcing how important they are, you know, giving players sort of rewards when when things go well. And so as that gets built up, then that's a great way that, you know, if two or three sessions go in and that's been reinforced for you, then all of a sudden there's an opportunity where are you going to lie or are you going to you know, defend the loyalty of your of your clan, right? If if that just comes out of nowhere, yeah, the stakes aren't very high. But if for the last three or four sessions, that's been a huge part of your character, all of a sudden that that scene takes on a, a a lot more weight. And I think that's that's where it gets really fun. But it 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 takes digging into characters' backstories, and it also takes players being willing being willing to sort of buy into that. Yeah, to that point, to early go back to problem solving. I do think that. The, the more the more you can you can provide characters with a toolbox like they character uh, players will develop a toolbox of things they can do in combat on their own right because that's what we do we, but to you know to like what John does where you're building up you're giving the the players a toolbox of things that they can do in a diplomatic situation if they're trying to to con somebody if they're trying to get a lower price for something if they're trying to you know, steal something it's 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 giving them something a, a, a lot of options to to tackle that problem that aren't that have don't involve a, a mace i think there's an interesting level of realism that comes with this idea just because if you if we all four think about our daily life the scenario where i'd like to use combat to get through it is higher than the scenarios that i can use combat to get through it and by that i mean i don't get to uh so the idea that i don't know what kind of job you have then <laughs> i work at a community college but um <laughs> there was only one time where I really thought I was going to have to fight someone but that's a story for another time um but the idea that like that's what we do daily. Like you always hear about someone that like mm -hmm. 
your anger, your aggression, you're trying to tackle these things, but I have to figure out a diplomatic situation to go through because these are people I care about. These are people that I know I need to see tomorrow. These are like, and so there's this interesting level of realism that comes with that. And I think that's where going to your point, Paul, that's where that backstory has to be more fleshed out. I think for campaigns, maybe a one shot, you could probably get away and people can bumble through and you do a shopping trip and it's all great. But I think for a long term campaign, those backgrounds need to be established so that you can make those stakes happen because now you know where the stakes are for that player character. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and it can be, you know, it can be, you know, um, you know, emotional, personal backstory, but can also be you know, a simple thing, like there was a campaign that we ran for years where our John, the DM, every every session or so would pull me aside and say, you know, your, your character had this dream and he would tell me about it. And it didn't seem like it was connected to anything, but it was just sort of and it went on for a while. Like and the, the dreams kept, you know, building up and building up. And I would sort of think about it and take notes, but it didn't seem like it really had any bearing. And then, you know, months went by. And all of a sudden, you know, that turns into a storyline. And all of a sudden now I have this backstory um, and I have this, you know, you know, in a way, a a somewhat realistic history about this. And so, you know, it made that moment, you know, that much more compelling and gave and made the stakes of of how I engage with it that much higher. So there are lots of different ways to do it, but yeah, it all comes down to stakes and sort of a personal connection. And also just being able to, you know, use all those skills <laughs> that you have on your character sheet, right? I mean, there are all those, I, I, and also, I don't know, as, as having played spellcasters, I love being able to, to, to use all of the ridiculous non-combat spells. Yes, like do. those are all so much fun <laughs> to be able to, you know, like, I mean, what's better than being a cleric and being able to, you know, create food and water, you know, for a, you know, a village of of uh, of people who are you know are starving or suffering a drought or something, or you know other you know things like that. You know, the being able to use mage hand in some crazy way. You know, that's. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's more satisfying than combat because it's 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 new. I love that stuff. Yeah, I think of it like in this way of almost changing the goal of the campaign. And working with the players to establish what it is that their characters are going to want moving forward in whatever story adventure that you're playing in. And we're talking about stakes and like one of the things that is coming to my mind is um, like a adventure where your characters are diplomats of some sort. And you're going into these encounters that are conversations with other people. And one of the stakes can be combat if you fail, but it's not the desired goal of the characters and the players at the table to because that that switches everything around. Because, I mean, we've anybody who's DM'd for a (laughs) I was going to say a decent amount of time, but I should just say anybody who's DM'd for any amount of time knows the players that come to the table and their goal is. I want to fight. I want to get Today into combat. Today I woke up and I to chose the point where as a DM you might have, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a DM you might have this this uh, encounter that is not a combat encounter, but a conversation that you want to be played out in mind. And every DM knows the the feeling of you start to monologue with a character that's somewhat of an adversary. And what do the players do? I attack them <laughs> in the middle of line one, right? Yeah. Uh, but to change that up to have it be no, no, no. You want to listen. You want to engage. You want to be part of this conversation. In fact, you're going to be wanting to use whatever role-playing um, uh, situations you have to kind of sway the future events of this story that we're going into. It, it very much changes it up. The third pillar is role-playing, by the way. It was too easy. That's why I couldn't remember. <laughs> That's it. it. Um, but you said role-playing, and it just it sparked a memory. There you go. I mean, to, to your point, we played in a, a long, long uh, campaign of Age of Worms. And towards the end, we were high-level characters. We were the champions of Heronius. And at that point, you know, yes, there were some sort of key battles, but most of the time we were going someplace to solve somebody's problem. And so we would spend a lot of time showing up somewhere and, 
you know, we were so powerful that in a lot of ways we had to be really careful about, you know, we, we can't just walk in and just start mowing people down. Uh, so there was a lot and the stakes were so high because we were, you know, we were getting closer and closer to either saving the world or, you know, we're having it fall apart. So there was a lot of these times where we had to be really careful and come up with, you know, what tactics can we use? And there was a lot of diplomacy. There was a lot of sneaking around. And then every once in a while, there was some, you know, hacking and slashing of Draco liches. But, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> got to have a little bit of that. I think one of the things that I, I keep thinking back to is the idea of figuring out more ways to use your skills or better ways for your players and player characters to use them and thinking of group checks or the help action or these things that often don't come up as much like oh we're all going to start just throwing dice at it or the one person that's good at it they'll do it and we won't we won't have anyone else roll but the idea of you as the dm doing extra research into how people usually approach or different ways that they approach using skills so that you can like have those available as I think Charlie, you mentioned it extra tools for your players to have so that they don't lean back on the hammer, the mace um, or casting mm-hmm. fireball. Yeah. As, as fun as that is. And also just, you know, from a DM's point of view, just kind of identifying good moments that the players have and, and rewarding them. You know, if, if you're making, you know, a diplomacy check or something, don't just have it be a, a dice roll, right? Have it the role playing aspect of it. Make it make them do it and then then they can roll the dice. Yeah, yeah. You it's it's a terrible moment when you as a player put everything into role playing through this this speech that you are either you've cracked it in your head and through time and then you roll and it's a crit one and you go, Well, I guess I fail and like as a DM, I'd be like, no, 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 there's no way we're going to allow for you put so much into that. We need to reward this somehow. Like, well, I would also think the dials I always love turning in fifth edition are advantage and disadvantage. And in those moments, mm. adding, adding advantage. But I also try and think of like, if they did fail, I think trying like me as the DM trying to have an explanation more than just the dice of let's say they do this very diplomatic speech they still roll let's say two fives and it doesn't get there but explaining to them even through either in character or above the table of the thing they said that made that other person mad because you could do an eloquent speech but one one word wrong and now that person is very angry at you and it regardless of how well you did Um, but trying to have those pieces to give back (laughs) so they're not just sad Exactly. Or if, if you fail the diplomacy check, you, you, you gain some information, you know, about why, right? Like maybe they got angry and so you didn't convince them of something, but then they bill, they, you know, they blurt out something that you needed to know. And so you get, you know, you sort of get something for it, but yeah, but advantage is always great to sort of mitigate the possibility of the flat out ones. And, and let's be fair. I mean, as frustrating as a player, when you roll a one in that case, it could be a lot of fun at the table if you completely botch the. <laughs> that is that. That's true. I mean, we and that's the thing. Like, we have so much fun. I mean, sure, we everybody celebrates when someone rolls a crit and you know someone's head flies off, but we also have so much fun when someone rolls the nat- a natural one in just the worst possible situation, right? Where like all they had to do was roll a ten and everything was going to be great, but instead, you know, that one that makes them fall off the ledge and then all of a sudden you know and that's how stories are told right that's what that's what makes it you know interesting and then there's this whole circuitous way around to get back out of it failure can be fun yep failure happens in a story i i love that we're talking about like how roles and and dice kind of incorporate into this type of game uh something that i have been doing in my um, in one of my recent campaigns that I've been running, I feel like really would apply well to this type of game style because let's let's be honest, we this type of game, a low to no combat type campaign is going to be very attractive to a certain type of player or at the very least, you want to have buy-in from a player who maybe does like, oh man, I just love combat so much, but they're wanting to stretch themselves, right? So you want at least that. And one thing I've been doing is uh, I've been having, with the player's permission, 
having certain skills behind the table of the character stats, like insight. And when a character wants to roll an insight check, I have done it behind the DM screen to kind of add that level of role playing because you know that as a player, if you roll a two on an insight check, whatever the DM is going to say, or a crit one and you get false information, it's really hard for even the best player to remove that metagaming aspect and dive into it and not just immediately be like, well, the information I just got there is false. But I would almost encourage DMs listening that if that's something that you want to do, well, if you want an NPC to roll an insight check, give the players that option (laughs) too and say, hey, here's their modifier. Why don't you roll that for me? And then you divulge the information that you think based off of their role that I, as the NPC, would understand. But that kind of would add this extra level. We're talking about stakes. It's like, well, I've got a plus nine to insight. That's great. But I never know if I'm going to roll a crit one and (laughs) and mess things up. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that, you know, one of the, I think one of the sort of the pitfalls in going into a a campaign where, you know, you're explicitly going to, you know, have no or minimal combat is the idea that that makes it somehow a sort of free for all, you know, everybody can just sort of talk and do whatever they want. Right. And I think the thing that makes that makes Dungeons and Dragons really such a good game is that the rules are just enough of of sort of guide rails to keep everybody together at the table. And I think if you, if you think of it like, well, if we're not having combat, then we don't even need to roll dice. We don't need to look at our skills and we can just sort of, you know, wing it. And then it becomes a, that's a kind of game that you can absolutely do, but it's a different kind of game. Right. And I think you, you, you lose or miss out on, some of the still some of the sort of storytelling aspects uh, that the mechanics bring in. So I do think that it's important if you're going to limit the combat or focus more on role playing that you still take advantage of the mechanics to give people, you know, things to do, tools to use and a way for everybody to kind of come to the table together. So you don't get into that sort of magical thinking of players saying, I do this and this happens. And then as the DM, you're like, well, that doesn't really happen or it does happen. And then and then they're driving the story and not you. Yeah, I like. Well, and I think there's I mean, it's it's lost to time. So if you were the person that told me this, you did a great job and I want to give you all the accolades. (laughs) Um, Other than that, that's the best I have. But someone told me at some point, if you don't want the person to roll a one or a 20, then don't have them roll. And so I think in a, in a scenario like this, that's a good adage to take with you because if you don't want mm-hmm. them to ultimately just no question succeed or no question fail, then they shouldn't roll. But if they're mm-hmm. – because then that goes back to stakes. Like what are the stakes of asking the player to make a roll for their character? And then if it's that they're there, then yeah, sure, have them roll and figure out if there's inspiration, if there's advantage, if there's all these things. But if – them failing isn't something you want, then don't have them roll. Because ultimately, we all have enough experience. Ultimately, that's exactly what happens every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it does. I mean, then that's kind of the sort of elephant in the room with the the campaigns that are, are low combat is that they can be a lot more work to put together. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you're just advancing from room to room and you get stabbed and, you know, the party has a pretty simple solution they either the person either dies or the cleric heals them and you go on to fight the next one um but if it's if it's all a lot of interlocking stories and information you get from people and what do you do if you screw up how do you how else are you going to get that piece of information if you did roll one it's fun work right but it's definitely more preparation time as a dm paul um before you said um something to the degree of you mentioned like having the players that like really like to talk now like as a dm i've i've definitely had players at a table that that's not quite the case in (laughs) fact i've definitely had players where i've noticed that they're um all right when are we going to get to combat um mentality i think is driven by a like maybe feeling uncomfortable role playing or not feeling like they are like that's their niche so do do any of you guys have any advice for the DM out there who's saying, like, this sounds like a really cool type of campaign. I would like to 
jump into this. And certainly I have some players at my table that are going to love this, but I don't want that player that is kind of leans this other way to feel left out of this type of game to feel like he's being or she's being drowned out by all the other voices. Do you guys have any advice for the DM that has a player like that at their table? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, the first thing is to say that's where you really lean into those tools that you give the players, right? Like that's where you really, you know, as you're, as that character is starting out, you know, reinforce and build, you know, those skills, right? Make sure that they, one, that they know about them, give them opportunities to explicitly sort of use them and get used to it. And also make it okay at the table to, you know, say, I'm, I'm going to do a diplomacy check and this is how I'm going to do it, right? Don't, like, people don't have to, you know, as much as, you know, Charlie was forced to actually <laughs> sing in order to, uh, you Which, know. listeners, he's going to be forced to sing. Yeah, oh, yeah. This episode oh, 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 God, he's no. like, oh, no, oh, my God, connection's no. breaking up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got the, <laughs> Gotta go. Gosh, I've got the cable right here. But, I mean, don't don't force players to to, you know, go outside their comfort zone. But at the same time, give them the skills, give them the, you know, the tools that they need to solve those problems. And sometimes that's, you know, giving them some extra information, giving them some additional backstory. And then a sort of, they, you know, inevitably players will sort of warm up to it and get used to it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, combat is a set of tools that you have and you're better at some things than others. And, you know, you learn to use your, your bow instead of your, you know, your broadsword. And I think the same goes for, you know, insight and diplomacy and, and, and history. Um, and, you know, and just, and, and be willing to, uh, you know, let players make connections, right. If they have a really good reason why that history check is going to come in handy right here, you know, let them, let them take a shot the same way you would say, well, you know, they have three quarter cover and you're 90 feet away, but yeah, sure. Take a shot. Yeah. I love that. Cause it, it almost makes me think of like, if you know that a player is maybe that way, then as the DM, uh, keep it, keep an eye out for opportunities. Um, we, we always talk about on the show, like doing a session zero, a character creation night mm-hmm. and kind of working with your players to figure out what their characters are like and their backgrounds and their passions and their fears. And like, if you kind of have, if you have buy-in to your char- the characters that the players are playing, like then you should hopefully have moments where you can kind of look for those opportunities to say to that player, hey, your character really is quite knowledgeable about this thing. I want you to make an intelligence check about this. And then you can divulge some information that can help in that situation. And maybe for that player that struggles, you're looking for more opportunities to do that with them than the other players who are just feeling very free to role play. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think like it was the thought I had, Paul, you took it. How dare you? I'll edit it out and I'll say, no, <laughs> the, the idea that you like, you're normalizing what the level of engagement is. So if someone's mm-hmm. very open and willing to sing, that's great. But if someone can only describe their actions in the light of my character name, you know, insert character name does this. If they're not even to the point where they can say I, like they're not even willing to take that level of ownership, just normalize it all. I mean, like the character is still doing those things in this world, in this scenario that you've created. Who cares if they sing or don't sing? Like you're still moving forward and and like I said, just normalizing what level of engagement works. Yeah. Yeah. Because every, I mean, everybody should, I mean, the whole point of this is to have fun. Everybody should be able to have fun. Um, and just like, you know, we have players who for in combat, will just sit at the table and, and roll their dice. And then there's people like Charlie who will get up and wander oh, around the room yeah. and, you know, swing his broadsword <laughs> and leap over tables. Um, you know, as every, there's, there's a, you know, there's a kind for everybody. That could be really <laughs> dangerous leaping over a uh, D&D <laughs> table. That's awesome. <laughs> Are behind you. <laughs> I'm definitely inviting Charlie to all of my games. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You, you abs- yeah. <laughs> so the the other thing that I've been thinking this whole time is like we've kind of referenced the idea of an entire campaign, but the other option is certainly an arc. 
of your campaign that it makes more sense. Have you gone into like you're not wandering the wilds anymore and everything there's trying to eat you. You're in a town and they're just trying to eat you up in a very different way. And so like combat isn't okay. Like you'll go to jail. Like like you can't choose that for this certain arc and like figuring out how to add this element, this type of play, because once you've done this, it, like it's almost like an improv exercise for your whole table, because once you've done this kind of thing, those are tools they all have moving forward. So even when you add all this combat back in, they're able to reference back to that time that there was no combat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually, you know, Waterdeep is a great example of that. You know, Waterdeep as a, as a city has all of these really strict rules. And if you, you know, if you get in a fight in public, you know, you go to jail. If you use magic openly, you go to jail. There's that whole, um, uh, what was it called, Charlie? We had a, we had a great, we, that was our first box that we did was Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, And there was the, the code legal. There's the cold. So in, in when you go into Waterdeep, posted is this big code legal always that there. says, you know, these are all the things that that are against the law. So fighting and magic, although uh, I think pickpocketing and pickpocketing is legal, strangely enough. Yeah, it should always. <laughs> but so like putting your player also putting your play. That's another way to sort of raise the stakes. Right. Putting your players in a in a situation like having the adventure start in Waterdeep where getting into a bar fight isn't just a like. Oh yeah, that's no big deal. Like, you know, we'll just, we'll kill a couple of these people and we'll walk out. It's like, no, you're going to get thrown in jail. And then, and you know, and, and if you're not, if you don't have a really good way of getting out of jail, that was a really short adventure. Um, but you're right. And then once they sort of get used to that and that becomes, you know, tools in their toolkit that they can use at any point later on. Right. So now all of a sudden when they look at, you know, a new encounter, they don't immediately just say, oh, well, we must, we're, we've met something, we must have to kill it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there's something to that, just sort of building up the, the player's confidence and their ability to to handle those things without fighting. And that 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 because I, I, I do think that there's there there are times where as a player, you're like, wait, does the DM want us to stab this? Are we <laughs> supposed to do that? You know, and just creating sort of a, you know, making it clear that there are different different ways to to solve things. And you can go different ways. That's awesome. So we're getting a little close on our time. So I think we should definitely move into our homework section. I have no idea what we're going to do for this topic because it's so open. Like there's so many countless things that you could observe and try and figure out how you would make them D&D campaigns. But we'll go around. Is there anything that our viewers could watch, listen to, read that would be good examples of low to no combat campaigns? for their D and D worlds. I think, I think from a toolbox point of view, if you follow justice Armand, who's our, one of our, one of the, our uh, people we work with at Food on Grams, our first employee. Yeah. yeah. Who's awesome. And he on Twitter has sort of a, uh, what are they called, Paul? They're, um, uh, they're called uh, DM warmups. DM warmups. So yeah. And it's, 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 a, they're exercises to get the players to think about their backstory Think about how their characters would react. Like, what well, if if you walk, walked into a restaurant, what what meal would you order? You know that that kind of stuff. It just again, it's just to build the players' toolbox. So if they are dumped in a situation where they they have to think their way out rather than fight, they got more stuff they can work with. Yeah, and just a great it's a, it is actually just a great way to sort of start off a session. You ask them a player, ask them all the players a question, have them answer it, and just gets them thinking as their player. And so, like, for example, the players that, you know, tend to not talk in the first person or, you know, this is just a way of sort of very gradually getting them more and more comfortable with, with you know, being in the first person and, and, and really role playing those characters. Uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, I was trying to think of, you know, movies and, 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 and you know, adventures that I've read that have little or no combat. And I would keep thinking like, oh, yeah, there's that one. Oh, except for the big battle at the end. So <laughs> you know, I think it's 11. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of contemporary heist movies are great. That's a great example. Lord of the Rings. I mean, you brought it up earlier, Paul, but like it all really depends on which character you track, because there's certainly an element. And it also just dawned on me, like 
just because your players aren't having combat doesn't mean combat isn't happening in the world <laughs> or around yeah. them. It's just that's the campaign and the type of characters that you happen to have. So like if you're following all of the hobbits, there's not as much battle as following Gimli. Well, and to just like, let's not mention the movies uh, just for our sanity, at least my sanity, but the Hobbit book is filled with encounters that are not combat encounters. Yes, it does end with a big battle, but unlike the movie, it's like very, I mean, Bil- Bilbo in the book, I believe, just gets mm-hmm. knocked out. You, yeah, you, you skip, skip over you the, skip over the, the entire whole third battle, movie. Right? He just gets knocked Yeah. It's literally like Tolkien is like, no, 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 we don't need to, we don't need to write a big battle story here. Um, but you think of like they're the dwarves and Bjorn and like, I think Tolkien is full of, even in Lord of the Rings, incidents where you can isolate and kind of just look at that um, scenario like the Council of Elrond and just be inspired by those things. The cave trolls with with Bilbo and the dwarves, they don't fight. But that's pretty high stakes, again, to talk about stakes. They're all in a sack. Like, that is high stakes. What they role play through really matters. Absolutely. That's a great example. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, for players who are really combat focused, and especially like min-max players who are always looking for those great combos, you know, is to encourage them to try to min-max out their skills, right? Like, think of ways, like, how many different ways can I think of to use my history skill? Like, don't think of it as, you know, I only use it when someone says, oh, do you remember the king from a thousand years ago? Like, but, you know, try to think of, and again, sort of build up your own toolkit. Like, how many different ways can I think of using my history check, right? Like, maybe I don't have a great charisma, but I want to impress somebody. Maybe, you know, this person is somebody who could be impressed with, you know, my knowledge of history. I'll bring up some, you know, you know, I, I do this in my real life all the time. Of course, I'm always trying to impress people with history. <laughs> doesn't always, doesn't. <laughs> but, but so, but that same idea, right? Like let them, you, you know, do the same thing that they're doing when they're saying, well, you know, at third level, if I take this spell and I take this feat, I can combine them and, you know, do the same thing with their, with their uh, non-combat skills to say, you know, how many different ways can I think of using this? Cause that's, I mean, that's just, again, going to add flavor and add, uh, a bigger toolkit. And who's to say that you can't, um, if you're playing fifth edition, which we know a lot of our play, our listeners are, who's to say that you can't take a page out of older editions too and say, hey, like we're doing this really low to no combat campaign. Maybe the amount of skills that uh, fifth edition has is enough. Maybe I want to throw some different ones in there, especially like knowledge skills. Maybe I want to have uh, give one player who is um, playing a character that knows a lot about royalty a special knowledge royalty um, skill that he is going to or she is going to be able to use um, in moments where it's going to really come into a, a play. But that might be something that takes a little bit more work, a little bit of homebrewing there, but might be really effective. Well, especially yeah, if you're I- dropping that on the or you're giving that to the players who are kind of reluctant going in. If you give them the skills that are that are really key to to navigating the the, the spaces that they're going to be in, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, even just the, I was uh, I was DMing uh, Tyranny of Dragons, and when they all started, I mean, one of the things I did once they gave me their you know who their characters were and a little bit of their backstory is you know I purposely gave each of them a non-combat skill, whether it was history or you know, I'm, some of them I just made up like draconic insight or whatever. But, you know, I just gave them like a cup. Each of them had one extra skill that was just going to be specific to the store. Like one of them had, you know, geography, you know, geography of the of the Sword Coast. Right. Just so that there was one player who, you know, their special ability was I I can find my way around here a little bit better than everybody else, which is, you know, one, it's fun, but it also, you know, it, it, as a DM, it would help me because then when they get stuck, when there's an oppor- when there's an opportunity for something, I I know that I can turn to them and say, "Hey, don't you know geography?" 
Well, it leans back <laughs> to that idea of the heist movie because you often think of like, we got to get a so-and-so. Well, it makes me think of the Rick and Morty <laughs> episode more than anything else. Yes, um, exactly. But the other one I thought of, and I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to reference this back as homework, but one of the D- very D&D type things that you could go do is play back through Planescape Torment. Um, the enhanced editions out there, you throw it on an iPad, but there are ways to get through that game with almost no combat. Like you're just having conversations, um, you're avoiding things, and so yeah, that it's an amazing game regardless. And sure, hack your way through it, but you could also use that as a good tool to figure out a way to do low to no combat. So, we have the most important question though: Where can people go to find all of the stuff you are doing um, and learn more about, of course, the Platinum Box for? Whoa, I just lost it. Beyond the Witchlight. Wild, wild yes, beyond the witch light. An easy one to yep. lose. It's, it, it's yeah, it's wild. Yes. Though. It is wild. It's beyond. Yeah. Uh, Beetleandgrims.com uh, is where we talk about stuff. Store.beetleandgrims.com is where we sell stuff. And then uh, we're on we're on the Twitters. Uh, that's that's a good place to keep track of what we're doing. Um, particularly this weekend, where we've got a lot of different kind of wildness going on. Including, uh, we are going to close the show at D&D Live, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, with a, we're doing a, a Beetle and Grimm's is doing a streaming show called Faster Purple Worm Kill Kill uh, at D&D Live. Love it. <laughs> presented by G4. And we are, uh, yeah, we're really excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. And we'll definitely have links to all of that in the show notes. But it, with that out of the way, Paul, Charlie, thank you again for coming on and yeah, talking to thank us you so much. Well, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Super now fun. we'll go fight. Yes, <laughs> you have my sword. We just want to thank Paul and Charlie for coming on and having that amazing conversation about having a campaign with low to no combat and how to approach that. And of course. And of course, if you liked what you heard and you want to tell us about a campaign where you had low to no combat, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, head over to your podcatcher of choice if you see fit and leave us a review that'll help get our algorithm numbers up. Who knows what that even means? And of course, you can head over to Twitter and follow us at DMs block. That's DMS underscore block. Or you can like us on Facebook where you can keep up to date. Also, we are on Instagram. And of course, there's the Discord. There's also the forums. I mean, honestly, if you can't find us, it's because you don't want to. And that's okay too. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night. Good luck and keep on dungeon mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. Just because there's no no combat in your game doesn't mean that there's no combat at your table. Goodbye.